Welcome to Planet Water, a podcast exploring how water impacts every stage of how we live our lives, from our physical and mental health to our overall well-being. Planet Water is brought to you by Sweden's Blue Water, a Stockholm-based water company that's on a mission to end the need for single-use plastic water bottles and the threat they pose to human, ocean and planetary health. Greetings and welcome to Planet Water, a podcast about healthy water, mindful hydration for body and mind and sustainability from Blue Water, a purpose-driven Swedish company. In a short while, we'll be talking to Claire Paul, a UK events guru who has made it her mission in life to mobilize sporting organizations and sustainability advocates around the world to drive change towards a greener, healthier planet. Claire will be sharing some of her knowledge, hopes and dreams with us. Hello and welcome to Planet Water. I'm Dave Noble, Communications Director at Blue Water, and my purpose is to take a deep look at all things water. From the way water keeps us healthy, improving physical and mental performance, to the multiple threats posed by chemical and plastic pollution and water scarcity being sparked by climate change and ever greater urbanisation. At Blue Water, we care about what goes into our oceans because we care about what goes into our bodies when drinking or washing with water. We've put banishing single-use plastics at the heart of our business mission with ingenious planet-friendly water purification, dispensing and bottle solutions to generate and serve pure water at home, work and when on the go. Our water purification solutions remove over 99% of all known contaminants, from lead to chemicals and microplastics, and are available in major markets globally for a healthier you and a healthier planet. Sports events have proven they can play a huge role in promoting change in the way people think for the better. After all, sport of every kind, whether it's sailing, golf, football or ice hockey, often inspire huge amounts of passion from fans. And for the last decade, a growing number of sporting organisations have been attaching sustainability messages and action to boost their image and credibility around sustainability issues. There's little doubt that at many levels the growing sustainability movement in sport has escalated apace with public awareness around issues of the climate crisis. In football, England's Forest Green Rovers Football Club has become probably the greenest club in the world. That's according to the eco-lobbying publication Sustainability Report. The club's home stadium, which is located in rural countryside a couple of hundred kilometres outside London, is powered by 100% green energy. And only fully vegan food is served to fans from concessions on match days. Club chairman Dale Vince told Sustainability Report that the Rovers believe environmental sustainability and on-pitch success is symbiotic because the media attention helps grow the crowds, 
which helps get its sponsors and helps attract good players as well. Nelson Mandela famously declared some 21 years ago during a speech in Monaco that sport has the power to change the world. He explained how he believed sport has had the power to inspire, the power to unite people in a way that little else does because it speaks to youth in a language they understand. Sport, Mandela proclaimed, can create hope where once there was only despair. Our own involvement at Blue Water with sports events like the Cape Town Marathon, the Volvo Ocean Race, Formula E, the Open Golf Tournament and many, many more, large and small, has provided concrete evidence that fans will buy into sustainability initiatives given the chance. The British Open, for example, was able to end the sale of all single-use plastic bottles thanks to Blue Water water stations and Blue Water stainless steel water bottles, which allowed tens of thousands of fans to stay hydrated with clean, pure water. To discover more about how sport can use its power for good, I spoke to Claire Paul, who arranges an awesome annual gathering called Sports Positive Summit. It's the global meeting place for sports affecting positive environmental impact in collaboration with the United Nations FCCC Global Climate Action and International Olympic Committee. Formerly a consultant for UNFCCC at the outset of its exploration into what is now the Sports for Climate Action framework, Claire was referenced in 2017 as doing more than anyone else alive to mobilise convocations for sustainability advocates throughout the sports world. Claire's opinions are regularly covered in the media, including the BBC, The Guardian, Sports Business Journal, The Sustainability Report, Green Sports Blog, IUCN Business Blog and the UN's Environments Ask the Expert, amongst others. Claire, it's so lovely to have you joining us on uh, this Blue Water, Planet Water podcast. Um, Very, very exciting to be talking to you as usual. We always have so much fun when we talk, so I'm really looking forward to this chat. Can you tell me, first of all, something about who you are, uh, what drives you and where you've come from to reach this particular point? Yeah, of course. And thanks a million for having me, Dave, on the podcast. It's lovely to be here. Um, So I'm Claire Poole. I'm the CEO and founder of Sport Positive. Um, There's loads I could tell you about myself, Dave, and where I come from, but I'll just pick... I'll just pick something. Um, so I think in terms of my kind of background and where I've, I've come from with my organisation, I think I've always been driven in terms of I was born in Ireland and brought up in the Isle of Man. And it was always um, very, you know, out, outdoorsy kid, always in nature, loved animals, always been obsessed with trees and the outdoors and stuff. So I think those seeds were sown from an early age. Um, but in terms of where we are now, skip forward, you know, a long time and um, sport positive, is my organization which was set up in in 2018 
And basically, through a lot of other things that we've done, it's kind of driven out of trying to progress the efforts around sport and climate, bringing people together, sharing information, trying to basically unify the global sport and climate leaders and, and people who are active in the space to pull towards the same goal. So we work in collaboration with UN Sports for Climate Action Framework, which people might have heard of. We host one annual large-scale summit, and we also do a lot of data research around football specifically at the moment and also spend a lot of time you know sort of connecting the dots around different initiatives connecting people and essentially just trying to drive progress forward and increase ambition around how sport can play a role in the in the fight against climate change just before we get into more detail about what it is that you're doing and how you are bringing people together and enabling them to network to find new paths forward uh, in terms of the environment, have you always been interested in the environment? Was this something that, you know, at the age of three, you woke up one morning and said, aha, that's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, <laughs> work with the environment and sustainability and stop climate change? The <laughs> last day when I was three, we weren't really talking about climate change. <laughs> Maybe it was global warming back then. But no, um, I, to be honest, I'm super jealous of people who had that aha moment or, you know, I've met people through the years um, where they've known from the day dot that this was what they were going to do. And I think, as I said, whilst I've always been around nature and animals and outdoorsy, etc., I never really, from an early age, thought I would end up in this role where I am now. I studied law at university. Um, I went into the legal sector for a few years, but wasn't a big fan of that. Um, then I moved to New York and I worked for kind of a, an events PR comms kind of agency there for a couple of years and then new events and comms because of my personality. It was a good fit to do that. But then it was that drive into, um, I started off in the kind of renewable energy area and then that opened my eyes to it. And then I worked into sustainability and climate change efforts more broadly. But yeah, not not known from the year dot, but certainly, um, certainly delighted I've ended up where I have. It's absolutely amazing because actually you said right at the beginning that growing up in the countryside, you obviously were surrounded by, you know, pristine nature or largely, hopefully so. And also that you were quite sporty. What was it that drove you to set up your own business with those two kind of um, major meeting points of sport and sustainability? Yeah, so I've always been into sports and, you know, athletic, but also into following team sports and stuff as well. So um, the sport was there. And as you said, that kind of background from where I come from as well, um, there was always a mentality of being in these unbelievable, beautiful places in woods, in mountains, in trees, on beach, in beaches, by the sea, etc. So that was all always there. And then in terms of setting my own, up my own business, I kind of worked, been employed by organisations for a, a few years, you know, across, well, many years across my career um, and realised I built up quite a network of people um, in renewable energy and sustainability and climate change. And I've always been very focused on projects as well and having kind of a start middle of an, an end whether it's events or communications campaigns or or work around that so um, I got to a certain stage in my career where I was being approached for different roles I knew I couldn't take them all so I kind of thought maybe if I go out on my own I can kind of help a number of different organizations more on a project 
level rather than working just for one. Um, so it took me a little while to build up the courage to take the jump um, of going out by myself and leaving the paycheck that someone would drop into my account every month and then being self-sufficient in terms of driving it. Um, but I did that in, in 2015 and I haven't looked back really in terms of um, I started off consulting in 2015 and set up Sport Positive in 2018. I think I think people who work for themselves have a certain mindset in terms of self-motivation and kind of, you know, used to work in long hours and, and go in the extra mile on things. So my work ethic kind of suited it. And then sport and climate, as I said, I'd started working around going out by myself in 2015 and consulting and sport was part of that. And then really, really galvanized when I decided to sell Sport Positive in 2018. And I've been deeply rewarded by coming to a couple of your conferences. It's been absolutely fascinating. It's been an amazing network opportunity. And obviously your energy in bringing people together and keeping them motivated is absolutely awesome. But I guess quite a few of the people uh, listening to this podcast haven't actually had that same honor that I've had. So can you tell me something about what it is that anyone going there for the first time would see happening, who would likely be there, and what would be the things being discussed on the agenda, and what would be the impact and the concrete actions decided afterwards? Yeah, it's a great question. I think um, in some ways, if you've been to one conference, you've been to them all. So in terms of the basic setup, it's not dissimilar. You know, we try and bring together speakers that are really leading the way um, across sport and sustainability. We do a lot of research to pick the best topic so we chat we're chatting to people in the industry globally all year round and then we put together an agenda based on the topics that keep coming up the challenges that people are facing what's really important for them to hear about all of that goes into the agenda and we have an exhibition area where we bring together a really really important part of sport and sustainability which is potential partners for organizations to drive these efforts forward no man is an island as we know Dave and, and it does take a village in terms of pushing this forward so we have either a physical or virtual exhibition space where those partners can showcase what they do and then that leads to organizations getting more visibility of who's doing what in the space and that can help drive progress together more quickly Um, and then more broadly we obviously have networking opportunities and kind of get togethers so more socially around it and I think what's different about the sport and sustainability space is that even when you are in a massive sports organization a household name basically sport a lot of sports organizations are still very small no matter how big the brand is the organization's quite small and the people inside that organization that are focused on CSR or sustainability or climate change are even smaller. So in many huge sports organisations, it might just be part of one person's job to oversee all of that work. Whilst we hope the efforts manifest across the entire organisation, and they do, often it can it can go back to one person to be able to push that forward. So what's slightly different about sport and sustainability conferences compared to even other industries I've worked in before is the importance of that network and, and bringing people together, because it can be quite lonely for people in this space when they're the only person inside their organisation who does it. There isn't it. It's not like being in marketing somewhere where you're in a team of especially at the big organizations 20 or 40 people who focus on it you're by yourself so again trying to get yourself out of that bubble hear what your peers are doing hear what's happening in different sports learning getting food for thought understanding which partners might be able to help you all of that I 
think is even more critical in this space than a lot of other industries because of the nature of it and the fact that most people are by themselves. So that's really, really important. And then in terms of sort of the takeaways and things, for us, success, our success metrics are always connecting people and getting the feedback in our surveys that they made new relationships, they start new conversations, that they've basically found potential new peers or customers or partners um, or friends in the space that they can have conversations with, bounce ideas off, help push forward their strategy and just basically have the positive feedback that the time they've spent is worthwhile and they've expanded their network. And also on the education side, the knowledge around key areas that they might not have thought of before. You mentioned topics. So topic-wise, they might be have, have been historically very focused on you know, waste management or reduction of single-use plastic and renewable energy, then they might come to one of our events and realise that actually these wider topics of biodiversity and sustainability communications are actually equally as important and something that they should be thinking about more holistically. So if we're educating people, if we're connecting them with new people and, and helping speed up progress, then we're happy, basically. Well, that sounds great. It sounds like one big happy party. And indeed, that's been my experience. Coming <laughs> well, it's along. nice to have a nice time while we're doing it, isn't it, Dave? Yeah, well, it makes a change from all these typical NGO type meetings where everyone's in a grey suit and looking deadly serious, but doesn't really say much more than they said at the previous meeting. At least at your meeting, people are actually talking concrete actions. Do you think, based on your experience, that um, there has been a sea change in the way sports organizations are looking at the environment nowadays uh, compared with let's say five years ago when you were starting to move into the arena so yeah i think things have progressed i think i feel in some ways even though to some people we're kind of one of the early adopters of this i kind of feel like late to the party because there's people you know, who've been trying to, act, you know, doing really important work and trying to activate more progress in this space for like 20 years. So, you know, we've been part of this conversation and, and trying to help progress in the last six, but a huge amount has changed in the past six years. I think um, certainly when we started off, it's a very small group of people. And now it was very unusual to get connected. In the very early days, it was unusual to meet someone who you didn't already know. <laughs> you know, someone would say, oh, do you know such a person? And I'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just got off the phone with them, actually. Um, whereas now I think what's a great barometer for it is that I'm chatting to people and they say, oh, do you know this person at that club or that federation? They've, they've started to move this. And I say, oh, no, I don't know them. I'd love to connect. So, again, I think the way it's exploded out and the appetite for especially in sport has increased massively I would say even in the past couple of years to my mind I've definitely seen um, a big difference since the UN sports for climate action framework was launched and I think that's really heightened the visibility and the progress and the work in the area and um, but it's not just that obviously there's so many organizations working tirelessly all over the world on this work but yeah I think the other good barometer is that we're seeing new organizations popping up all the time whether it be NGOs or consultancies or campaigns organizations to help drive it forward so again that's another great indicator that there's a, a sign of appetite in the space for it. Well, of course, sport is an absolutely amazing way of reaching out to the general public with really strong messages about the environment. And obviously, one can understand that there are sporting events that have a very big role to play in spreading that knowledge. Again, based on your experiences, what would your advice be to any sporting organisation now 
wanting to get really serious about their sustainability initiatives. Dave, to be honest, I think the best advice is just to get started. I think I have so many conversations with organisations and especially when people come to our events and they see these, whether they're federations or leagues or governing bodies or clubs or even athletes that are on the speaker faculty and by definition are doing probably the most in the space because that's why we've asked them to talk on the, on the agenda because, you know, they've got a lot to say. And um, People say me like my god like they've been doing this for like 15 years like it's so big it becomes almost in their head unmanageable to be able to think what would we even do in this space and my advice is always like just get started you don't have to have an all singing all dancing strategy from the day dot you know start with putting some recycling bins under your desk, starting with thinking about reducing single-use plastic start with you know areas where you can make immediate wins that doesn't cost a lot um, and it might require some behavior change but it's something you can start with and you know if you can start there then that's brilliant if you've got a bit more impetus and you can benchmark if you can look at you know a lot of the time especially in bigger sports organizations they have data already on energy use on water use on transport how fans get to games and stuff so a lot of the time there's a lot of data there already it just perhaps hasn't been been used in an environmental focused way so again can you start benchmarking where you are because that's always really important to do at the start of these journeys as well so you can show in the coming years what progress you've made so I think if organizations in sport are you know thinking we need to start thinking about this more seriously I think start somewhere if you haven't got buy-in from senior leadership or you're still early on the pathway start somewhere try and benchmark where you are and then if as you do get more buy-in or as this begins to mobilize then start thinking about your strategy and start putting the two together so where are your biggest impacts and where can you make the biggest wins and try and build your strategy around reducing those don't copy what you've read you know for for different different organizations done because even if you look at something like football clubs in the same league, where they're located, you know, is it a public transport venue or is it a venue in the middle of a city? Is it further out? You know, even differences like that can change the impact of your organisation massively. So don't presume you're like other clubs, even in the same league as you or, or the same sport as you. Start from where you are, work out what your impacts are and then try and build out from there. At Blue Water, we've we've made it uh, very much our mission to end the need for single-use plastic bottles with innovative technologies and, and stainless steel bottles. And I was just wondering, what is it that companies like ourselves, or actually any company, can be doing more? Do you think to be um, more supportive towards you know the the whole concept of sport and sustainability? Yeah, that's a great question, and I think even. The fact that you're asking the question sets you apart from a lot of organisations <laughs> who are often in the, you know, often in the what's in it for me kind of space. And I think that is really what sets Blue Water apart. Obviously, we've had the pleasure of working together for many years in different sort of guises. And I think it, I think what organisations like yours can do and that you do do, I think, is bring sports organisations along on the journey with them and be a true partner to that. And that's what I think 
differentiates partners and suppliers. So I hear sports organisations talking very differently about those um, and where it's the best it could possibly be is when um, a sports organisation has an organisation it works with that supplies a solution, but they see them as a true partner in the effort rather than a supplier of goods, materials or services. So I think your kind of approach of building a relationship and being more than just a solution provider and actually working towards the greater good in a genuine and credible and authentic way is completely what how companies can help support and influence events organizers and I think as well especially in sport as as you know and as I've mentioned you know there isn't unlimited resources and money even though people outside of sport find it very difficult to believe when they see these huge brands and stuff it is you know especially now post-COVID, sports organisations are really, really struggling. So I think, um, you know, the benefits of the sustainability side, obviously working with them financially to make sure it stacks up. But also I think this broader message, um, which is how I definitely see Blue Water working with its partners of, we're doing this together and we're collaborating for this greater good. And also looking at the wider benefits. So obviously you're really focused on, you've got a solution um, that reduces the need for single-use plastic. Um, and, and that's obviously an incredible solution. And you work with some unbelievable sporting partners, but also you're incredibly authentic within it because you're often doing so much work around the importance of staying hydrated, the importance of a healthy mind and a healthy body and, and you know, what water can do in that. You know, So I think it's this broader messaging as well and bringing people along with you that sets, I, well, my perspective anyway, is what sets, Blue Water apart from other providers? Um, Of course, we've just come through a terrible pandemic, the worst in over 100 years, and that's obviously impacted your business, I guess, quite a lot. What do you think the future's holding? I mean, how, what are we going to be like in 2023 or 2025? Do you see us going back to where we were before? Do you see the same kind of drive to buy sports clubs and those involved in the sports community to find sustainable solutions as there was before? I think it's definitely, I've had so many conversations about this recently. It's a really important question, Dave, and I think um, within sport, I think it's sort of a bit of a tale of two halves, which I think, to be honest, mirrors across society as well. On the the top end, where clubs or organisations or sporting federations are more financially secure, they've been able to double down on sustainability. They've been able to use the time where maybe fans aren't in stadiums or tournaments can't happen to really use that time to be able to refocus on sustainability, perhaps roll out strategies, in, you know, increase their initiatives and, and work in that way. Other sporting organisations have not had that luxury because they've been literally firefighting to stay afloat and with the best will in the world, even if the desire is there, they haven't had the capability to be able perhaps to keep initiatives going or build initiatives out and maybe they've just ticked along what they've been doing, which has still been incredibly admirable for them to be able to do that. So I think we're in this moment now where hopefully the vaccine rollout is exponential and that we can start to see sporting tournaments and events be attended by fans again you know going forward and we can build back into that but I also think 
it would be really surprising to me if in you know five or six years time we've gone back to the way things work because I think so many organizations have changed the way they work because of this so whether it affects you know how frequently tournaments happen or how they happen or whether you know we need all the kind of bells and whistles that sit around everything it's I kind of I'm not sure which way it'll go but I also have a gut instinct that it's unlikely just to go back to the way things were. But yeah, there's kind of bigger questions around that as well, because we love sports so much and we're dying to get back into stadiums or we're dying to get back to mass participation events and those sorts of things, because that's, you know, what makes us tick as human beings in terms of that passion for our sport. But again, we've kind of got this post-COVID world and also the rise of climate change. And can we carry on the way we have in terms of the amount of travel that's been happening to international uh, games, tournaments, organisations, etc. So I'm not sure, but I'll be fascinated to see what happens. On a personal level, we're going to get a bit close personal now. So um, yeah. uh, what brand of hair shampoo do you use? Listen, let's get Down to the nitty gritty. No, uh, what I was thinking about the question here really, Claire, is uh, actually what makes you tick as a human being? Oh, it's a big one, isn't it? What makes me tick as a human being? Um, I think there's a few things. I mean, as you said, I've got an incredibly positive outlook, which I'm sure is incredibly irritating to loads of people because I always try and see the positive. And I'm, I'm very, very privileged and fortunate to be in a place in my life where I can see the positives. But I think the same as a lot of people, my family and friends, I'm so tight with my friend, family and my circle of friends. And I'm sure as a lot of people experienced in COVID, you know, you can kind of be slightly removed from the people you love and you care about the most, not because you've meant to be, but just because after you've been on Zoom calls and WebExes and Google Hangouts and Teams meetings all day, and you can't see them physically, you don't necessarily want to do that all evening. But I think I've realised in, in across the pandemic that if I do go, you know, a few days without catching up on the phone or see, you know, seeing my friends and family on FaceTime or whatever it is, that I can feel a little bit like down in the dumps about things and things get on top of me more for sure. So I think that's brought to my attention that my boundless energy, as you call it, is really derived from the people around me as well. And when that's been impacted by the pandemic, I have really felt an impact. So I think definitely that makes me tick because I think that's what makes me really happy being around my friends and family, but also, you know, nature for sure. Uh, although I've become a bit of a city girl over the past 10, 15 years, like I still have to be in a green space <laughs> at least once a day. I have to go running around the park or into the woods or take the dog out and, you know, and do that. Because again, that gives, I think running is like a therapy. If you're a walker or a runner or a swimmer, I think that is again, the great thing about sport and leisure. It takes you away from what you're doing. You get a physical buzz from what you're doing, but also for me, a mental space that kind of re-energizes you to carry on. So yeah, I would say they're probably the big things that make me tick. And when you're running, um, which yeah. you're doing every day, do you listen to music when you run or do you listen to the sounds of nature? It depends on my mood. So some days I'll just leave my AirPods at home and just, to be honest, I don't even... 
I don't think I hear what's going on around me. I get a bit lost in my thoughts. And then the other thing really I do now is listen to podcasts a lot. So again, when we're busy with work uh, and you're kind of doing that, you don't get a chance to do those. And there's so many good podcasts now, like around the environment, around sport, you know, comedy, podcast stuff that really take you somewhere else. Um, I love the Woman's Hour podcast. I've always got great topics and really interesting guests and stuff. So actually, if I'm not being at one with my thoughts, Dave, I'm usually listening to a podcast podcast come to the last question and it's that one of the kind of like desert island discs question but um you know if you had one wish that you knew could come true what would it be i'd love to hear what some of your other guests have said so for me i think it's only a little one but um just to, uh, i'm i'm being tongue-in-cheek i'd i'd love to see a healthy planet and a fairer society. I think there's so many issues in our society around intolerance and especially I think we saw it in the UK around Brexit and COVID and all these issues. There seems to be a lot of polarisation of if you don't have the same viewpoint as someone, you can't have a conversation about it or you can't be friends with them or you can't consort with them. And I think that is making us a worse society because of it. So I think having more tolerance and more equity in a fairer society and a healthier planet for us all to live on, which is obviously what me and you are fighting for all day, every day, personally and professionally, to try and make sure we've got a healthy planet for our kids, our grandkids, our friends' kids, you know, in the future generations as well. So only two really minor things to finish off on, just a fair society and a healthy planet. (laughs) Well, I hope if there's any wizards or witches out there that they're all waving their wands or wizard sticks and soon that wish will come true, Claire. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was Claire Paul, founder of the annual Sports Positive Summit, which offers world-leading content and industry networking for those who operate in sports. As Claire points out, environmental concern and climate change are at the centre of public concern and political consciousness right now, and sport and nature are inextricably linked. Like Claire, we at Blue Water believe that sport is in a powerful position to harness the zeitgeist to drive change that will future-proof its own activities, positively impact the world for generations to come, and evolve the sports business model towards a more sustainable economic foundation. We're happy to be at the forefront of innovative hydration technologies and solutions that can be a force for good for greening the sports industry and helping our awesome planet return to health after far too many years of abuse from human-made chemicals, plastics and other pollution. At Blue Water, we totally agree that sports can play the crucial leadership role needed to drive sustainable development. And yes, like Nelson Mandela, we also believe in the power sport has to engage and speak with everyone on issues of deep importance to our survival on this shared planet of ours. Blue Water has made its stance totally clear by signing up for the UN's Clean Seas Pledge to turn the tide on plastic. Every single day, our solutions help people and businesses avoid using plastic bottles while staying properly hydrated, as well as also contributing to the efforts to collect the plastic littering our seashores. You can discover more about our vision and mission at Blue Water at www.bluewatergroup.com.
On the Blue Water website, we look at what's in your water that shouldn't be there. We answer vital questions on stuff like how much you should drink each day and when, and we give you a whole bunch of great recipes for water-based drinks using fruit, vegetables and herbs. Just hop online to www.bluewatergroup.com. We've now reached the end of this Planet Water podcast. I hope all of you out there enjoyed meeting with Claire Paul, founder of the Sports Positive Summit, and hearing her hugely positive insights. As a grandfather of three granddaughters and two grandsons, the whole subject of clean water, sport, and planetary well-being is absolutely vital to me. This has been Planet Water, brought to you by Blue Water. And this is Dave Noble saying, stay safe and properly hydrated. Talk to you soon. If you've enjoyed listening to Planet Water, please help us spread the word by reviewing and rating this podcast. It'll help keep us making great episodes going forward. If you have a comment or a question you'd like answered, email me at planetwater at bluewatergroup.com and I'll get back to you just as quickly as I can. That email again is planetwater at bluewatergroup.com Thanks for listening to Planet Water. Please remember to always talk to a doctor about your hydration needs. We're not doctors and don't provide medical or health-related advice. Please remember as well that the individual opinions expressed here are just opinions and nothing more. Thank you.